0: So here I am today with my next podcast guest, Stephen Marriott, who very kindly jumped in at the last minute to come and talk to me today about his life as an author, being an indie author, and and everything else that I'm going to throw at him for questions. So welcome, Steve.
1: Thanks. And um, yeah, it wasn't too much trouble to jump in at the last minute. I'll just I'll admit to everybody seeing as um, I share the same uh, house as you. i was around when you asked me you
0: just had to move from the study to the living room and we've got a glass of wine so it's all very civilized this is the traveling through podcast i'm your host emma and today's guest is Stephen marriott i've stayed very close to home in fact at home for this interview steve is in the process of writing the third book in the reluctant pilgrim series and these are his thoughts on writing walking traveling and life there's a lot of things that I've never asked you, so this is a huge opportunity for me to, to learn a little bit more about you. Oh, um, now you're telling me. On the spot. On the spot, absolutely. So let's start from the, from the very, very beginning. And one of the things that has always intrigued me is how your writing life began. Has it always been a part of your life since you were a child, or is it something that you've that's developed over the years?
1: Um, I'd like to say it's always been a part of my life and I've been writing s- since the first day I could pick a pen up, um, but no, that's that's not true. <laughs> books have been a part of my life for a long time, mm-hmm. but writing um, or creative writing, fiction, which I've written a couple of books now, started around 2012 when I walked this... Um, pilgrimage long walk which I know you know all about because you've done a couple subsequently with me called the um, Camino de Santiago yes. across northern Spain and um, I was going through quite a few life changes prior to that uh, walk and just set off with a journal like a lot of people do journaling mm-hmm. um, and I I'd, I'd, I'd journaled before when I had a sabbatical traveling a few years before that um, and kept a blog And email, actually I I didn't have a blog then, just emails to people um, about my travels around South America. But in this instance, by the end of this journey, this 800 kilometre journey across northern Spain, I felt I wanted to share the experience um, with with people and that turned into a blog and then subsequently kind of morphed into a fictional story. So yeah, you could say that uh, I found, maybe it was always with me, but uh, certainly the catalyst for writing Mm-hmm. Um, I think was born on, on this Camino de Santiago pilgrimage. Okay. Um, but yeah, books have always been a big part of my life. Growing up in the 70s and 80s, there was a lot of American TV shows and things that we, me and my brothers watched. But I always liked books because my dad was a big reader so and um, some of my friends were as well. So I, I read a lot of fiction then as a kid.
0: Mm-hmm. And since 2012 and Walking the Camino, you've now produced two books. One which is the... Um Floss guitar. Um, and in fact, that is actually where we first met because you came to talk about that. You were invited by Marion Marples, who sadly passed away recently from the confraternity of St. James.
1: Yeah. Well, I thought um, it was a barn dance we met at. <laughs> So oh, just you know, you just, just emphasising upon the West Country. It yeah. was
0: a very serious situation. For me. Oh, okay. <laughs> Nothing to do with West Country. Oh, and
1: no bar dancers on the side are involved.
0: <laughs> and um, so you came and you talked about the Candy Floss Guitar. I think that was when it had just literally been independently published by you. And then su- subsequently, you've produced a second book, which is Santiago's Guitar Guitar, a couple years back. And now you're onto just starting the third book, which I'm not sure whether you will divulge to the podcast listeners the title. But what I wanted to know was, was this triggered by the lockdown? Because I know a number of people during lockdown, some have had their creative style or um, creativity provoked, and others have had it quashed. And I wondered whether the lockdown in, in March and subsequently onwards... Has that had an impact on you and why you've now started the third book at this point?
1: Um, Well, it's part of a series called The Reluctant Pilgrim Series, um, and I always knew there would be uh, at least three books in the series. So this is obviously the the third book, and um, my mind had already started turning to the third story before this uh, uh, lockdown period that a lot of us have been experiencing, obviously, that's kind of past now, hopefully, mm-hmm. uh, March, April, May of this year. And the summer before that, um, which you know, as you walked it with me, I walked another Camino. There were many different Caminos. I kind of like to think of them as tributaries, which go up to the main uh, river, which is the, the called the Camino Frances. So yes. there's different roads to get to Santiago, which is where the end of the Camino de Santiago pilgrimage ends. And what I can reveal is that my character, Diego, who is now a bona fide musician, mm-hmm. professional musician, finds himself at a turning point in his life and finds himself on another Camino de Santiago, the Camino Portuguese, which happens to be the second most popular Camino that's walked after the Camino Frances. And so, yes, yeah, so I'd already started doing some research and you, you joined me for the first leg of that. Yeah. We did the first half of that, which is the Portuguese part. And we crossed over into Spain in, what was it, Tuli. Tui? Tui. Tui, that's it, yeah. Tui. Tui. T-U-I, Tui, yes. And towards the end of the summer, I was going to continue from Tui um, on the Spanish side up to Santiago, but that wasn't possible this year for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. So my mind had started to turn there with the research. I guess um, I, I think I was probably going to start the book after doing that. Right. But obviously finding myself at home more mm-hmm. in March, April... Well, it wasn't really to the middle of April that I actually got going with the book. I mean, I was a nurse to you for a little while. <laughs> you were, for a while. Yeah. Um, and, um, but then when we had, I had some space um, to get going with that, I did. And so it probably accelerated um, me, me doing that and turned my mind to it. But I think there was, some, was, there was two parts to your question. As on how, how, did it, how did it affect it? Did you ask me?
0: Um, I wondered how the lockdown, whether, how it affected you and also with your creative thinking yeah
1: well creative thinking wise it, it didn't help me mm. I found um, there, was, there was too much noise too much distractions Um far as was new everyone was curious to find out how dangerous it was there was daily news briefings from 10 Downing Street which I think um, I got a bit addicted to like a lot of people I think uh, so I think early on there was a lot of distraction when I tried to write and um, I, I've also got a uh, uh, um, sort of part-time day job in, in my old world of investment and finance which mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sort of balancing as well so I think there were a number of different things and obviously the financial world has been at, impacted like like the rest of the world has been impacted in so yes. many ways so I kind of plugged on day by day uh, writing but I think I was my mark you know, maybe we'll come on to this later when we we'll talk more about writing but I think at least I find I need to be in the right place to write. I need to try and get myself back into that world. Mm-hmm. And and that's about having the space, the distance mm. and um and which helps the mindset I think to do that. And I think there was too much noise. Right. So I did put pen to paper or wor- words down on my um on my laptop. Um but however it it was a hard trudge. It was a hard yeah. slog. But you know you're getting there and I think the most important thing is just just to try and get something on paper. Yeah. And you can always polish and develop your thoughts as you go along. So, um, yeah, it's interesting because I've never been afraid of the virus from day one. Um, but my mental state, I think, uh, that's something that's worried me more. Yeah. And, and the mental state of, of the people around me.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm sane, I promise.
1: <laughs> well, you can probably say if uh, I remained sane or not during um, uh, <laughs> that period. We both
0: had moments of insanity,
1: I think. I, I think so, yeah.
0: Definitely. Um, okay, so so you, you mentioned you read quite a bit in, in your childhood, and I wonder whether some of the books that you read, did they influence you to write at all, or helped you with your style?
1: I, I guess undoubtedly some of my favourite books have, have influenced me in probably the way I write, it's because I guess if anything, if you like a certain style of writing, you tend to read more of it. Mm-hmm. Um as an adult, because I love travel and place and culture, I read a lot of Hemingway mm-hmm. and um, you know, his writing is quite sparse. You know, they, they talk about the iceberg approach to his writing. You don't see much on top above the surface, but the sparse words or the simplicity says so much yes, yeah. underneath the surface. Yeah. Like an iceberg.
0: Yeah. The old man oh. and the sea also comes to mind as being a very small book and
2: it's very big yeah, yeah, and it's, that's
1: another, that's a favourite of mine of his. Mm-hmm. I guess um, one other one that does stick out in my mind is more of a sort of a personal journal of his, which is, what is it called? A Movable Feast, um, mm-hmm. set during you know, a unique period of, of, of time in, in the sort of 20s, 30s yes. Paris, and that was you know a man trying to make a living as a writer early on in his life uh and i think again because that's set in a place but i guess going back to being when i was y- I mean, younger um obviously i was unaware that the, you know that maybe books were having an influence on me but now i think about it and you've asked me the question i think i always liked books which had a journey or kind of quest in it mm-hmm. so the um narnia books yes, um I, I i devoured like a lot of people i read the tolkien books you know, mm-hmm. the sort of the the Hobbit, Bilbo Baggins Hobbit books and uh, Lord of the Rings. Uh, And they have a quest element, a travel, a quest and a journey, coming to terms with with a problem and challenges, that kind of hero's journey. And I think those have influenced me in my life in terms of later life, giving up work and to go travelling and go on a journey. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I always used to read a lot of travel books related to places I was either in or wanted to go to. So I think Maybe just because I've got a small vocabulary, I don't know. But books which are not flowery, Mm -hmm. but say a lot, um, I like. And so I can think of like Jack Kerouac again, like traversing America Mm -hmm. and that kind of beat generation, that rhythm to the writing. Yes, yeah. I really enjoyed. I wouldn't dare compare myself to him or Hemingway, but I guess those are styles which have probably, at least Hemingway, Mm -hmm. have influenced me. And I've always liked George Orwell's style as well. Yeah. So uh, yeah, a a lot of books and a lot of reading.
0: Okay. And I wonder whether those books actually influenced you more to travel initially than to write.
1: I think so. I think um, when I was, I I think I read a lot of. I always urged from a a young lad in the West Country, growing up in a town called Portishead in Bristol, Mm -hmm. um, to leave there and the bright lights and big city of London and New York and those places appealed. And so I think I I, I would I would read books. which would have travel as a theme mm-hmm. and even like dickens which had a sense of place in london yes i guess the writers who li- who almost lived their life of what they were writing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which meant a sense of place mm-hmm. yeah yeah i've always liked
0: i think in fact one of the dickens books the the traveling through book club read quite recently which was the um, the night walks mm-hmm. which is interesting that's a great yeah. book yeah yes. it's
1: yeah. Uh, a lot of people apparently had been having problems sleeping during the lockdown period so um, yeah, what he did for a period when he had insomnia mm-hmm. for a couple of months, he just used to go out and, and walk around Victorian London, and yeah. the dockyards mm-hmm. and all over and see what was happening during the night. Yes. So, um, mm-hmm. But that's that's another great one, yeah, sort of walking, yes. which obviously i love. been influenced by walking.
2: Yes, yeah, yes, of course.
0: Okay, a quick round of questions.
1: Uh-oh, okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what book are you reading or have you currently
1: read oh gosh i'm trying to think now because i've always got a few different books
2: on the go yes. going
1: on the go really? sort of normally a fiction and non-fiction but actually i tell you a book which is i'd say i call it a common sense practical book to money but also life mm. which is very well known but i've never read it called rich dad poor dad yes which um, it, you know you associate it as a business book mm. but i think there's a lot of philosophical things in that book which are sort of a kick up the ass um uh, to be more practical thinking in your life and to give you confidence that you can be independent in thought and spirit and mindset. Mm -hmm. And very encouraging for, say, someone like me who has made the break from working full-time permanently to consulting, writing, and now working part-time so I think that book is is a great one. Just mm-hmm. I think as a starting point for anyone that's thinking they want to work for themselves. Definitely. Um, whether you're a writer, whether you want you want to be an entrepreneur, a business person, but you want to work independently outside of the system, outside of the corporate world. And it's also a great book, I think, in the sense that it, it helps you sort of think about how the corporate world can help you whilst you're still in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was a nonfiction book I read recently. The great book I just completed the other week is called 13 Moons Mm -hmm. by an author called Charles Frazier. Mm -hmm. Um, Most people will know Charles Frazier for the book and Nicole Kidman film called Cold Mountain. Yes. yes. And yeah, I love his language and style of writing. And again, they're always in a sense of place. Yes. Always within nature. Well, at least those two books I've read are very much about nature and the outdoors. And, yeah, and there's no way I could emulate that kind of style of writing. But, yeah, beautifully poetic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, 13 Moons was okay. was the last book I just completed last week.
0: Okay, yes, so I think I heard you talking a little bit about it to me, and I have to say I'm very intrigued to read it myself.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, I might have mentioned it to you once or twice, I think. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think you did, definitely. Um, do you have a favourite reading spot you like to go and sit to
1: read? Oh I'd like to say under my favorite oak tree or something in the nearest park but that that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> well as you know there's that wooden chair which uh, you've, I think you've had for donkey's years apparently in the corner of this lounge here yes which um, I have my modern ikea lamp above which i sometimes sit in and my grandmother's read at night. chair Or right? well, your grandmother's chair so yes with my modern ikea lamp above <laughs> it for, for extra light
0: for eclectic look
1: <laughs> yeah so um i will sit there in the corner of the room next to actually now i'm just looking or some of the the, the books you had left from the shop that's right. so yeah so There's yeah that's a, an, in, that's a great corner to yeah. sit in and like a lot of people not too tired read maybe for half an hour before i go to bed Mm-hmm. as you know. Yeah.
0: So this is a question that I ask a lot of people I used to ask in the shop too, but I don't think I've ever asked you this question. Are you a Kindle reader or a paperback reader?
1: Oh, <laughs> that's a divisive question.
0: <laughs> well, there we go. You don't have to answer. It's like it, a question don't... I can't win. You don't You don't have to answer in a decisive way. You wow. Know.
1: As I'm a traveller, I have discovered that Kindle makes your travelling a lot lighter. It does. I've got this friend of mine, Bill, actually, who I met travelling, and he is the most well-read person I know, Bill from Kentucky. And his rucksack used to be way down, (laughs) like bricks of all the books he used to carry. And and, um, I used to carry some travel books and fiction books and things, but not to the extent of him. He'd never carry a Kindle, but I found that a Kindle having your own library... Yes. And the ability to get hold of a book at a whim is great. And both. So I've got books on the Kindle, but there's still something about the coffee-stained paperback book yeah. that will, will always be with me. So, yeah. But as you know, I've got a Kindle, and um, it has changed my travelling life in many ways.
0: Mm-hmm. It's just utilitarian, really, isn't it? It's fit for purpose. Yeah. I
1: mean, I don't think it replaces a, a guidebook. I mean, mm. a guidebook has maps and things and different descriptions. I mean, a guidebook dates, of course. Mm. Um but a guidebook, I think you can fold the pages, you can put bookmarks in, and it's just easier to navigate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas, yeah, guidebooks and I think in some non-fiction books don't work as well in, in Kindle. I always like to have a thick guidebook. There's something dependable about it as well. Mm-hmm. You know, having mm-hmm. having a guidebook.
0: Yeah, no, no, definitely. Okay, we'll move on to our next round of questions. Um, did home and your childhood influence your Creativity.
1: Gosh. Maybe subconsciously. Mm. Maybe subconsciously. But I
0: the environment that you were
1: in Yeah. I mean uh you had the woods behind your house. I did, yes. And so yeah, growing up becoming a teenager in the eighties and um being obviously being younger than that, um it was a town, it was then it was no locked doors. We had woods and fields Surrounding us, you know, we could disappear all day and weekend, some holiday into the woods and the trails, and or on our bikes, just cycle around the town. And um, I think there was a lot of adventures and a lot of building of dens and a lot of fun. Yeah, so I think just the, the aspect of getting out I, don't, I wouldn't say influenced my writing maybe or in my creativity, but I think that sense of freedom, yeah, is something which I've always urged for. And so I think that at least this current series, of Reluctant Pilgrim series, is. In many ways, it's a story of faith, but I think it's a faith in yourself and the freedom to be yourself, yeah, and to yeah. believe in yourself. And as I said the luxury of freedom that one had growing up in Portishead. Um, and funny enough, you know, there's there's quite a few creative people that have come out of that town, more on the music side, who I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And maybe there is just something about that town which helps creativity. I don't know. I mean, there was also a time when there was a lot of influences from the states and. And outside places, and Bristol, which is on our doorstep, and, yes. and, and the music scene. Then, as I got a bit older, but I mean, I was actively writing then. It was just like most kids, you know, you you did your art classes, you wrote stories in school. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe in terms of imagination, because we all had a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, we you know, it was typical growing up small town. Everybody generally knew everyone, and there was rivalries, there were fights, mm-hmm. there were, as I say, adventures in the woods There were bike rides and um yeah there was posses and gangs of different boys and girls and uh, mm. everybody had brothers and sisters and knew each other and um kind of just being a little bit what we thought on our minds a bit dangerous drinking underage and all these things on the yeah. beach parties and in the fields and things so yeah i think it was an environment where you got to play yeah and i think maybe something as adults we forget to get your creativity you need to play you need mm. to experiment Not be frightened of trying something. Mm. And uh, and that's something I need to constantly remind myself with, maybe with a storyline or an idea, just to play around. And don't try and force it. When you're kids, you don't force things. You play and you don't set deadlines. And that's something actually deadlines in the the world of indie writing. A lot of authors have been very successful at churning books out Mm -hmm. within series and that works for them. Mm -hmm. I've tried that and I think it only works within a certain kind of genre, such as thrillers or sci-fi. And romance perhaps a and, and more general literary fiction you might say with a sort of travel theme mm-hmm. um, that doesn't work for me and I'm, every time I try to rush it the words don't work yeah so yeah I guess well, you've made me think now and I hadn't perhaps I hadn't been aware of it but the freedom to play I think you need to bring into writing and the, whatever creative pursuit it is you've got to play yeah and um, foster that creativity
0: mm-hmm. nice answer <laughs>
2: um,
0: so your connection to the the Camino de Santiago um, is clearly strong within you, but has travelling been the catalyst to release this writing creativity do you think? Do you think it was walking? I know you had a change, your life changed quite considerably at one point, but you have talked to me that you've written a couple of films and you've you you wrote you just mentioned that you wrote a diary. You, you make me Saturday. sound like some
1: kind of Hollywood scriptwriter <laughs> <don't>, <laughs> earning.
0: Literally, I haven't read it, but <laughs> I just wonder because we're all looking for our creativity, and we're all looking to find what it yeah. is that makes us suddenly be able to do something that until that moment is locked. And I wonder with you, what that was, or are you still finding it, and or does it come in leaps and bounds? Or
1: oh, good. Uh, I think I'm still. If it's still evolving. I'm still learning, and um, probably will always learn to an extent. Um, but yes, the Camino de Santiago, uh, the Camino de Santiago, did bring out something in me. And I think every day when you're walking, generally amongst nature,
2: mm-hmm.
1: on average twenty-five kilometers a day for just over a month, you can't help, I think, start to slow down and notice things. Yeah. I mean, it sounds. Uh, a little bit trite, but yeah, you do, well I hug a tree or two, <laughs> I look <laughs> round <real. laughs> I, yeah I look round and kind of took the time to to look at the hills where I just traversed and come from and the, or the valleys below, and look at the flowing water and nature and flowers and and you take the time to see the villages you pass through mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know you they want to engage with you, so you engage with local people sometimes, yeah as mm-hmm. well as the walkers and different people from different nationalities you. You meet on the way. So I think having the time out from what was a corporate world before Mm -hmm. to allow myself to digest, I guess, digest what was around me and look around and stop and kind of slow down. Mm. Like I think some people have been doing once they've been forced to work from home and just going out for exercise into the shops and things in the earlier period of this sort of lockdown, social distancing thing. For the first time in London ever, going to my local parks I noticed the cherry blossom mm, mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever noticed that before really maybe I'd ever been in the park at the right time you know it's a fleeting moment
2: yeah, yeah
1: and seeing the fleeting moments I think we miss in our busy hectic lives and for me the Camino de Santiago somehow maybe reconnected me or connected me to my creative side because mm-hmm. I want I felt I wanted to share it and I had notes in my journal yeah which somehow turned into a creative story influenced by the people I met on the way and creating a flamenco guitarist who was forced to busk his way along the Camino and then realised that's always been his passion. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: But he never had the confidence in himself. But people have confidence in him when he, they're giving him busking money. Yeah, And he realises he needs to go to Madrid, the big city, mm. to pursue this career, this this ambition, because it's never going to happen for him. Yeah, As much as he loves his small village... It's never going to happen from there. Yeah. Um. You know, I notice buskers. You notice all sorts of people walking the Camino for all sorts of reasons. That walking it, not just religious reasons, mm-hmm. cultural reasons, uh, a bucket list type thing, getting over a divorce, coming to terms with terminal illness,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you listen you use your senses. I think sometimes we forget to use our senses. Yeah. So does that answer the question? Yeah, well, yes. What was the so question I again? <laughs> no, no,
0: I think it does. It, 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 actually, it leads me to ask you another question regarding Diego. It's, has Diego evolved out of the meeting of lots of different people and a character was formed as a result of that? Or did you see his character in one or two people on the
2: way?
1: I think he's a mixture, although um, I did see him maybe in a, a couple of buskers, okay. or, or not buskers as such. People that just wanted to play music and brought the guitars with them. Okay. And yeah. so, you know, it's like a lot of people, um, I started the commune on my own, but it's, you don't really start it on your own, within a couple of everybody's like that, mm. solo walkers are in the same boat, and okay. so it's very easy to hook up and meet people, and it's a community on the way. It's a moving community, a flowing community, walking to Santiago. And because it's a community, there's music mm. with the people that brought the guitars, whether it's in the albergas, as they call them, which is the um pilgrim hostels,
2: mm-hmm.
1: maybe in a a cafe at lunchtime or something, or in the square of Santiago when you arrive All right um yeah, so I think I was influenced by a couple of people that brought the guitars. There were some people busking, but I guess it's a combination of characters influenced by myself on that journey, and I think mm. you know I'm learning that um Every character that a writer writes, there's, there's an element of them within that character or within the story. Yeah, so, right. um, all of the above.
2: All of the above.
0: Okay, no, that's interesting because I think also because now Diego in this in this next book a bit a little bit older, isn't he? So walking the Portuguese Camino, mm. did you see? Did you see his character walking with you on that?
1: No, but he's still younger than me.
0: Yeah. No, No, but I mean, (laughs) in other characters.
1: Didn't find that on the first stretch. But it's okay because, you know, his character has evolved in my head. Mm. Um, Some of the people which he meets on the way, yeah. Okay. And they have influenced him. Yes. As of he may be influencing them one way or another. So, yeah, so there's still that soaking up of that journey which is finding its way into the story. Yeah. The research. Yes.
0: So that's interesting so how how the walking is very much a part of these books and mm. um, and i love the way you've called it a reluctant pilgrim mm. as if like, I, it was that ever you
1: oh reluctant pilgrim i had an 18 month sabbatical and i think that was the the catalyst um kind of 15 years ago 15 years ago really now or just under 15 years ago mm-hmm. um that was the catalyst or the Perhaps it corrupted me mm-hmm. I had to have issue feet. Yeah. Um, so maybe you could say I was reluctant, you know, because I put my holidays together over Christmas and Easter and things like that to have longer holidays but it's more conventional. Mm. So perhaps there's a reluctance, uh, but I just like I mean that reluctance. I think we're all reluctant to embark on something new mm-hmm. and step outside of our our bubble or our, yeah. our comfort zone. So it, it, there's a reluctance, I think, in a lot of us. To seek new things, go on a pilgrimage and seek something new in our life that's lacking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I guess it's a bigger theme yeah. in many ways. Uh, but yeah, he did, not, he did not set out to walk the Camino. Like a lot of people have a determined mm-hmm. dream to do that.
2: Yeah. yeah,
1: Even though he lived in a village where every day pilgrims and walkers would pass through his village. It was normal. Him and the people in the village would be very much aware of the history yeah, I'm very proud of that history of the Camino, but it doesn't mean they all have the urge to walk it. Mm. Neither did he.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, but he found he, he he found himself on that road. Yeah,
2: yeah so
1: yeah. He, he was reluctant to that. You know, there's a direct link yeah. in that sense. Yes,
0: so it's almost like a there's a parallel message. The series, the reluctant pilgrim, in terms of taking the journey, but it's also the journey within the journey. So it's the, the actual physical path, and then there's actually the mental, yeah, there's faith. Yeah, there's part. faith in
1: your journey, in your destination, mm. um, destination, destiny. Faith in your destiny. Yeah, which actual yeah. fact always arguments there between what's between fate and destiny. Yes, sort of fate has a sort of a negative connotations. Things more with death and things fate, whereas destiny is always seen more positive. And I think that's because you have the ability to change your destiny. Mm-hmm. Um, Fate is what you get if you do the wrong thing. Mm. Destiny is what you you have ideas of things you want to do. Yeah. But you've got to go on that journey. Mm-hmm. But you can mould it. You can change it. Um, if you're willing to have faith to get to that destination. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So there's there's a lot of reluctance that people have in that.
0: Yes. Okay. So this brings me actually onto my next question, which is um, about your adult life in London. Okay. I mean, This happens to a lot of us, including myself. As young adults, we, we come to London to seek our fortune or just have a change of scene and mm. and grow up, I suppose, as well, in another world. And I, I wonder, for, for some people, they come to London and they never leave. And then for others, it's a platform to then go out further afield mm. into the world. And I wonder for you, was that also the case? Or coming to london was there always within you this desire to go much further and
1: and oh god that's a good question i mean i think nowadays i have a love-hate relationship with london yeah definitely uh as a 15 16 year old in a small townish place near bristol in, in somerset I remember seeing these yuppies on T V during sort of this whole big bang late eighties <laughs> period. Yeah. And I always thought to myself, That'd be a great way to earn a living without getting your hands too dirty. <laughs> if I'm honest. And so that was one of the pills, the glamour. Right. And earning good money. Yeah. Without breaking your back. Yeah. Um and so I ended up doing um economics as one of my A levels and, and subsequently a degree. So I think there was that pull as well. But I think I always had something in me that was just to get away. Yeah. Um, uh, but I know I remember that seeing those images. Mean, they used to put it on the news a lot the, Im- the images of the yuppies and their what car? Their Porsches and VW Turbo Golfs and things. Then and only man, I thought are not really doing much. They're just sort of on the phone. These like big brick mobile phones talking into them, and sort of stocks and shares keep going up. So that that seems like a great way to make money and not get your hands too dirty. Um, so I think I did want to get away. Mm. I keep thinking of train spotting now when that Ewan McGregor, you know, he has to get away from Edinburgh and he goes and he's choose life. It was kind of yeah. a bit like that, choose life, and London seemed like the obvious obvious place. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, more recently, I've been giving a lot of thought to London, as you know, mm. and I think. This sort of a, this question of London as it evolves. I mean, obviously, London is, is everybody has their different memories of London.
2: Definitely.
1: And uh, you know, talking of Dickens wandering around London, you know that that Victorian London will never will never come back. No. Like Covent Garden Market, when it was a fruit and vegetable market and a more, you know, now it's it's a place which is for tourists. Mm.
0: The same which has happened to Borough Market. Yeah, a
1: lot of places which, you know, become gentrified and for tourists and they become liquid with gloss. But I remember my granddad also said, you know, he used to be uh, a mushroom executive behind. And uh, he used to come up to London and sell mushrooms to Sainsbury's and go up to Marks and Spencer's head office, Mm. which I think he said used to be near Covent Garden it subsequently moved I think, to Holborn or something but he also used to sell to the the, the market stall so he <laughs> used yeah. to go from a market stall and the big market yeah. stalls are, to M&S's head office yeah. to negotiate the latest prices for the hundreds of mushrooms Yes, yeah. yeah and so that was a certain era you know a certain thing and when I came up to London I started coming up actually with work and friends before I even uh, had a job in London in in 2000, mm-hmm. and uh, so it used to come up at least from the mid 90s. And uh, then I still remember these little pockets of bars and basement bars, especially around Covent Garden, there kind of loud rock bars and stuff, yeah. but in the basement and things. Yeah. And they were very raw, and you know, and, and places around just off Covent Garden and places around Chinatown and Soho, yeah, and they had, a, they had a kind of a vibe to my energy. You go there now and it's mainly chains and themes and it's it's about going to the cool place and there's not this sort of kind of grungy sort of rawness to it now and you know we look at the south bank and um so the south bank just started to change when i moved there Mm -hmm. with the opening of the tate um the millennium bridge but i lived there as you know for 10 years and there was one Starbucks Then, when I first <laughs> moved there. Then the Starbucks effect happened and there was probably half a dozen within the space of three or four years. Yeah. So I, don't know, I look back and during this period of where we've sort of been locked, not that we can go to the centre now and things, but nobody's there in the centre no. because there's no office workers generally in the centre. Mm. And the, So I've gone in and it feels bleak. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is a very you know, specific. Place. Yeah, and there are some great places still. Don't get me wrong. Some of the rest, some of the Chinese restaurants are, and haven't changed in Chinatown. There's Brasserie, Brasserie? Zedel, yeah. which we love, and that yeah. you know that is that's like a that's a piece of history there. There's there's a place, and I'm gonna say the name. I don't to spoil it too much, but. In um, Leicester Square, you get the steps into a basement bar. Yeah. And that has been there since. It's it's cheese and wine, basically, mm-hmm. like a little boulangerie underground. Most people don't even know it's there. Know. There are some great things. I love the fact that a lot of the pubs in, in the Waterloo West One area, which we're very familiar with, seem to have hooked up with Thai families. And there's the Thai food of like, an old mm-hmm. Irish pub we love on Waterloo. And um, so there are some great things. But I do feel like the corporates have got into london Mm -hmm, in a mm -hmm. big way now although who knows i mean there is so much change happening and obviously technology being accelerated to the extent that the the, that people will have a lot more of a balance working from home now and the offices. it could change again yeah i just don't know but it feels like that place actually had the way you introduced it when i came up to london end of the 90s the millennium there was a real energy Mm. you did feel like you could be anything Mm -hmm. you could try anything And I don't know it's maybe because I'm I'm not able to look beyond and I look within the microcosm of where we are right in this moment but that energy is being sucked out of London and of course the social distancing and the lockdown and I have to say our mayor of London being so forthright and thinking lockdowns are the answer and not coming up with solutions of how we get people back into the centre if they don't do something quick I fear that London the London we all loved with all those opportunities will be lost forever and i don't have that sense of people being there who have the vitality and the energy and the vision to find solutions to get it going Mm. again so as i say it might just be a moment in time but yeah as i said i have a love-hate relationship you probably asked me this in a year's time and i'll say something (laughs) but at the moment it feels like it's a ghost town Mm, for obvious reasons Mm. it's i have seen in the years the way that like but as I said when my borough market was there I think the small part of it still might be a night wholesale market now you used to walk past the market porter when I used to go on the way to work at like sort of half seven in the morning and you'd see the workers who would be on the night shift in the in the wholesale market mm. in there having a drink yeah obviously not going to see that now no um no. Well, was maybe. that there was that <laughs> there before the lockdown social distancing virus thing I don't know because I don't live in the area now but I mean there was still that that local businesses Mm. happening there. Mm. And obviously, you know, we're seeing that in all over the place, lots of places. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. um, yeah, I have to say that um, look everywhere. Everywhere evolves. Mm. There are other places in the world. Sure. And And I I think think as a person, mm. you have to be flexible. Mm.
0: Mm -hmm. That's true. I mean, I think in some ways it's a cycle. There's a cycle where people weren't in London and then a lot of people have come to London. And this is very much a cycle of where where people are triggered by the, the virus and have have moved away and then realised the worth of not being in the centre of London, of not travelling big distances, of not being around lots of people, and enjoying a sense of more space. And I think it's maybe you know more re- recreation that we all have, more time to travel. That people are questioning what is important. So I think so, and
1: especially uh, people with family Definitely. and children. Yeah. You know yeah. that that makes obvious yeah. sense, but it's always been a myth i think that there's no community in the okay. center of london and <laughs> there is and we know that from waterloo yeah. from the shop sure. and when i lived on the bank side in the city of london corporation block of flats my god there was community there yeah and that is still there not that i've been in the center living there for mm-hmm. a year or so now so i think that's there but you know harder i still for them, then, harder I for them i think with it being so quiet and mm-hmm. reliance for a lot of people who need business and, mm, and need mm-hmm. tourists yeah yeah so that's uh, that's interesting kind of dilemma in a way mm, mm-hmm. there's still a lot of working class people that live in the center of london mm. they need those jobs
2: yeah they need the
1: jobs the key workers definitely mm.
0: okay next round of questions just a quick round. to lighten things up again um oh
1: good sorry i got a bit serious there. <laughs> uh. better drink some more some more wine love didn't i where is this wine from by the way
0: oh it's a um it's a Malbec. I think it's an Argentinian oh, Malbec. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, or something. So I think it's one of it. Mendoza, that's where it's from. Y-
1: yeah, that's yeah. where most of them But I think it might be the one I always moan about and so say, I used to buy this when I was in Argentina for a couple of, couple of quid, and it's probably like eight or nine quid now. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So thank God, thanks for buying it.
0: Yeah, well, pleasure. <laughs> Out of all the places in the world that you have been walking, where has had the biggest impact on you?
1: Or oh, I want to try and be imaginative and come up with walking in Patagonia oh,
2: could be very or local Chile
1: or, um, you know, walking through Wimbledon Common like I did earlier, actually, talking yeah. about getting a creative, working from home now yeah. and things. Um, one of my themes, I work, work here in the front room or the kitchen for a couple of hours. And then I'll get out and I went for a little walk and um, sat on a bench, actually. <laughs> one of my favourite places in the park.
2: OK. Um,
1: and wrote for an hour before I, I came back this afternoon.
0: Because one of your favourite places during the lockdown was a tree, but you realised when lockdown <laughs> ended that it, it was actually in the middle of the Gulf of fairway. Well, not so knowing Wimbledon, I living
1: here today, yes, there was no golf coming <laughs> and they'd taken the flags out, out of the holes and so there was no golf there. And then I realised when I went then to this tree one time that it was actually in the middle of a fairway. <laughs> so again I'm being terrible. What was the question? I, I was, just, I was um, like on a track.
0: <laughs> Out of all the places for walking. Oh I go. have to say
1: it was the Comida de Santiago. Yeah. Um, uh, because that that started in many ways this journey of thinking, create in a creative way. But thinking I could be independent and thinking actually I'm not just one thing. I'm not just someone that work in an office and, yeah. and could write I'd, I'd written actually going back to any of your previous questions I have written a lot but a lot of I guess stale investment reports
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know and some things within um, financial and trade trade finance press Yeah. Um, so in that sense yes but nothing Paraded, but I think it would be the community of Santiago. I'm fortunate that you know I've taken a few chances and I've had time out from from the main mainstream corporate world a couple of times now mm-hmm. and have done a lot of walking yeah um and trekking uh yeah, I guess the Camino. I would always in the Camino. France has got very commercial like the Frances, but there's yeah. lots of other different Camino trails. As you know, as you know, the, the Maserabi, which we did.
2: Yes, which, which is um, amazing.
1: Yeah, in Andalusia, which is which starts off on the Mediterranean coast and Amaria takes you up towards the um, another Camino that goes up the spine mm. of Spain. A bit of a tongue yeah. twister there. <laughs> yes. um, so you don't have to walk the Camino, the, the traditional Camino Frances, Absolutely. but for me. Yeah, that is the one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Still.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Um, what's your favourite walking terrain? Do you like to be near to the coast, climbing, climbing mountains? What do you find? Snowshoes the most... and
1: pickaxe every time traversing, <laughs> you know, traversing the And, you know, the, the high peaks of the Andes. As you know, I'm an adventurer. <laughs> no, I just like my sort of soft walking, um, North Face. Shoes and... Nothing too challenging. No, yeah, just the, water, the sense of the walking. So, yeah, um, yeah if it's along a, a cliff edge by the sea or through a forest, I'm happy with that. Yeah, okay. I mean, up hills and mountains, yeah, nothing wrong with that either. Yeah. But yeah, I think I have worn snowshoes once though. Have you? In Chile.
0: <laughs> Probably was necessary as well. Yeah. <laughs> Where have you walked that has challenged you the most, both mentally and physically?
1: Uh, both those times that you walked on a Camino with me, okay, yeah, having a fiery <laughs> Scots redhead walking Very alongside <laughs> one was, was a bit was a bit bit of a challenge. Extreme you know. heat, wasn't it? Oh yeah, that actually that's so, oh, that yeah that's true. Sorry. The Camino Mazarabi in, 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 yeah in Andalusia, well, that went from extremes from flooding, yeah, and and it. walking through storms to extreme heat. That was mm. difficult the change. Mm. The constant change. Um, from one to the other, so that was difficult, and we did traverse. We do do, do quite climb quite a few peaks as well. So did, that's yeah. pretty pretty interesting, in you know, the, you know, the hills south of Granada, basically. Yeah. Um,
0: and in fact, on the dry riverbeds with the heat, yeah, so bouncing was down on the heat was bouncing. Oh, that's down true. On yeah, bounce, that was sorry, and that was hard on the feet as well. Yeah, as well.
1: that was hard and hard on the gravity yeah. surfaces sometimes on yeah. those those dried riverbeds. Yeah. What's the hardest, most challenging? Walk.
0: Carrying the uh, pack of um, oh the, oh yeah
1: the um, Inca Trail in and Machu, yes. P- uh, Machu Machu Picchu um, Inca Trail Is that the hardest um,
0: half yeah. day that you
2: walk
1: ever <laughs> 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 I've forgotten about that yeah. yeah so a lot of people when you know when they go to South America it's kind of you know, they they do the Inca Trail and uh, but you can these days you can no longer walk on your own and and when I did it as well you had you had to be organised with guides yeah and porters and um well i'm not the biggest person myself but the the andean porters um from peru even smaller than me but clearly their lungs are about 10 times the size of mine uh <laughs> because you have your day packs or your you have your backpacks but they carry a lot of equipment like the tents stoves cooking equipment mm. gas cylinders um to your campsite each night and they are just such amazing guy. If you're not acclimatised, that's tough. Yeah. Because I think you go up the highest peak is something like 4,600 metres. Mm-hmm. And you need time to acclimatise in the Andes. So that can be tough for a lot of people. But when I was there, I was acclimatised. So I thought I could carry one morning or swap with one of the um, the porters, his heavy pack for my day pack. And uh, he tried to, to talk me out of it. But being stubborn, I guess, I swapped. And that was. It was a joke for all of them because they knew I was going to struggle, and I think he at the point we swapped up sort of the first break of them of that day's walking. Yes, yeah. I think he had a little kip for a couple of hours, How do you knowing think? he had. A, you know, as soon as we stopped, knowing he had so long now to you know to, to carry my little pack to get past me, and then with a couple of hours later, he just whizzed past me on the mountain, mm-hmm. that pack, and I was at the back trudging along. But it was it was an interesting insight to see um, yeah, what the porters carry. Mm. And, uh, with terrible footwear as well. Terrible footwear. Um, yeah, they're not paid well, and you know what? Um, a lot of them don't even get to see Machu Picchu, mm. because they uh, then turn around to go back to the start again to start to work with um, another group of really? um, of walkers. So it, yeah, it's, uh, that, that that's kind Sorry. of interesting. I always think about the most recent walk or the last one, which kind of tends to stick in my mind. And um, yeah, the Maserabi one. You're right. Was. The, the extremes of of temperature yeah, yeah. were difficult um to deal with, and you know we got soaked to the skin sometimes did, yeah. um, at the beginning, at the beginning and then the and then the sun was tough, it was tough, yeah,
0: do we go with the model either, then? I think so okay, cool, third round
1: oh no, I hate these. <laughs> If you could. Set- I'm going just say, it, and genuinely she has not briefed me of these ones. Even though <laughs> I live with this woman, she has not briefed me, so okay. <laughs> You'll be fine. I hate but being on the spot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you could settle anywhere in the UK, where would it be? Would it be in London or back to your childhood
1: roots? Would it be Posit? Which is, we call the nickname Porders <laughs> Heard. Would it be, it not, uh, it would it be Posit? Posit? Would I still have my family there, so that's always nice to visit, but I don't think I'm going back there as much as i love the people and, and, mm. and the place and, and it will always be my home to um, in many ways
2: yeah
1: i just don't want to get a Bristolian accent again to be honest <laughs> <But>
0: you, you <laughs> haven't lost it then. oh
1: come on <laughs> i'm a posh londoner um london and well i've already explained that i, I don't think london is for me forever yeah. now you know this love-hate relationship i'm also a londoner now i see myself yeah you know i have this love-hate relationship also very proud that I've never lived north of the river. Always lived in the centre or just... Why it's that always something been to, south.
2: Why that something I don't know. You I know it's just something
1: north yeah. yeah, It's just something yeah. about the southerners, you know, south of the river, that we're just more hardened, you know, we've seen a bit of life. We walk more because there's less tube stations, you see. So, but yeah, London, it's within the UK? Yes. Oh, God, that is a really hard question. I don't know where it would be within the UK because I don't... We were up in Edinburgh at the start of the year and that's mm. in your hometown beautiful city but god it's too cold and rainy there i don't want to live in that yeah so we'll rule that one out so within the uk sometimes it goes through my mind working living somewhere rural Mm. like you know on a scottish island or something like that just kind of you know having that sort of um solitude and peace but i think i would miss people so Mm. the, the perfect place for me is having some space and distance but but when you want to have community yes it's there okay and i think i miss community. So i don't know where that place is yeah but god yeah i mean i should know you can
0: maybe it's just a question of just continuing the
2: search
1: i think so. i think you can't force it no yeah you know you just have to you know, be open-minded and put yourself out there and you all know uh but yeah there's a lot of places as you can see i'm fond of but yeah. also i'm um, i'm ready for somewhere else
0: Okay, well, then how about this question? For oh, us? that's kind of nice. that's my uh, link. Well, clearly. Is it, uh, this is the link. If you could live anywhere in the world,
1: where would it be? Okay, wow. Let's have can come up with something that surprises you that we haven't talked about. Yeah. That'll freak you out. I'm breaking Do you know myself. what comes across my mind sometimes? And I don't think you know this, or maybe you do because you're and those People work me out. I'm a pretty simple man. <laughs> United States sometimes. Really? For all the craziness there,
2: yeah.
1: For all of of, of what's going on, Europe's pretty crazy as well. Everywhere's crazy. Mm. Uh, the politics are extreme—an um, extreme version in, in, in the states right now. I think there's something about the um, the books I've read, mm. and there's still that freedom there. Yeah, the freedom of the individual within America. Mm-hmm. The freedom, you know, the American spirit, the pioneer attitude is still there.
2: Yeah,
1: and I I think. There are a lot of things I can look to our politics here where I didn't think that you know they would be so extreme here with lockdown and what they've done in in their response to the virus here. Mm-hmm. Um America obviously it's there's a federal but there's also a state level approach. There but I think something within the American constitution has a lot more protection in terms of liberal rights than we have here although you wouldn't believe it because of the media and, and things mm. so there is something that pioneer instinct and, and the, the american constitution in terms of individual rights yes, which attract me to the united states okay uh, and now you're gonna get a lot of experts come out and say "Well, oh, you, you don't know what you're talking about look what they, the various presidents from the bush reagan era did and stuff like that but uh the constitution is law and there is freedom with, mm-hmm. within that if you want to push it mm. but i think also america is so varied
2: yes the state it, sure. the
1: landscape is so varied and you can't judge a country by its presidents it's its people And i've always been so welcomed when i've been there and there's so much to see True. so many natural parks i want to see yeah and i think that would be a great place to take the time to explore mm-hmm. um different parts of california i think there's a great great mindset within california in terms of optimism um, even with challenging times like raging forest fires social distancing lockdowns there's a massive entrepreneurial s- spirit there mm. that, that wants to be positive yeah and face adversity and, and i find that appealing you know the landscape again in california the coastline's beautiful that whether it's practical to do that whether one would even be allowed to, to to get a visa to live there that's another thing um you know if you're not sponsored by a company or something mm. uh but the diversity of people place and attitude is i think is quite in- mm. interesting mm-hmm. that's something that's crossed my mind but in terms of like where would i live i don't know as you know mexico is uh, you know i have a love affair with latin america yes yeah. and uh you know i spend a lot of time in Colombia, argentina and i've traveled the continent, traveled it for 18 months, and uh, South America, the main. And um, I think Mexico, again, is it, it's a fast-growing emerging market, but I still think it's raw. Yes, It's raw and that's something that attracts that, that it's not institutionalized like old Europe.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So
1: there's opportunities there. Okay. Yes, it's got its crime scene, drug scene. It's still, I think, raw, and there's opportunity there and open-mindedness. Which is attractive, I think. Spain, as you know, mm-hmm. I love, and we've considered Spain actually, haven't we? Mm. Um, we wanted to get out to Spain, but we weren't able to because of the restrictions yes, um, in the summer. But I don't know. Spain. I'm...
0: I can see a few road trips coming up here. <laughs> to work
1: yes, all you're invited. Okay, <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Spain, I don't know. I don't know. It, it, I think a lot about the old world and the new world now and the way that. How do I put it? Socialism has become very pious. Again, mm. without going into detail, I think there's a lot of socialism mm-hmm. we see. or as a ex-colleague of mine used to say in the UK, I call them Guardian readers, uh, with used to say with venom. But I kind of you know, I used to read the Guardian myself. I used to read a lot of dissent from the right side of the press and the left wing. Yeah. Um, but I find something like the Guardian and some of the press on the social side, very pious now. Wow. Not open to to debate. Mm. Whether yeah. you agree or not. And and I think about that as some of the old world. Um, like actually Spain and the UK. So I f- my feelings are a little bit blurred by that. By this lack
0: of openness to for debate. Yeah.
1: You know, at the moment, you can't get away from... You know, we've been in Sweden recently and what is mm. the best way to respond to a new virus? My view is, as you know, is that In the majority of people the virus is mild and it is dangerous for a smaller minority so in my mind is you have to live with it you have to find a way to live with Mm -hmm. it and but nobody wants to have a debate about that the pious guardian readers socialist side they don't want to have a debate about that it's just it's it's social distancing it's lockdown but not having the debate about well how do we live with this Mm -hmm. and and i worry about that with the extreme of lockdowns Mm -hmm. especially in Spain. And I'm not saying at the start when there's something was new that you had to consider what do we do to protect ourselves, yeah, yeah, but the harshness of the lockdown is places like Spain. I thought you'd never lock down the spanish yeah. they're too too social they're too um party going they're too social, so I don't know it's it, it's something which is being reviewed in my mind, yeah, yeah and I see that there's there's no willingness for debate for mm. alternative ways of how do we live with this mm-hmm. in certain in certain um countries
0: yeah. Yeah, no, perhaps as spain very,
1: and definitely here in the uk yeah.
0: no it's been it's, it's very almost, one-sided it's it's exposed certain countries
1: so i think yeah so yeah the jury's the jury's out the jury is, out, S- is, is yes. still yeah we okay. yeah, yeah, not, not going into a covid <laughs> debate here
0: no definitely not okay um so you're currently writing this third book for writing where is your ideal place to be to write if you could be picked up by a helicopter right this moment and so where would where would you ask the pilot
1: to take you? Well as you know it was that tree but as it turns out it's in a fairway so I'm ducking golf balls, so yeah. That's out. Might <laughs> need a pilot at a helicopter to oh, that save was for, me. That's
0: for reading. Are you gonna go there to write as well? Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, I, might have read, right, you know, I was gonna mind I was gonna write there right. uh, but, but no, the I don't uh, I don't have a, I don't have the I don't have a specific place to say right in the flat here. Have the study. We alternate between the rooms depending on what each of us are doing. But what I would say, in a general response to that 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 question, is that I found, at least for me, you need the space, which means cutting yourself off from others and not having distractions. Mm. So when I've written in the past, the the last two books, the first book, I was lucky enough to be on the lakes. Ex-colleague of mine kindly lent me a spare house, and I wrote. On one of the, the lakes in Italy, yeah. yeah, you know, having that alpine nature to be on my own, yes, yeah, yeah. to walk and be immerse myself in my story, and then to walk out in between and think, and I've always found that works well for me. And I took myself off to Spain for the second book for mm-hmm. part of that, mm-hmm. in a, a little seaside quiet village. I mean, I don't like giving them all away the names of the places, mm. but it's um in the Cabo de Gato, which is the only desert area yeah in Europe um, so near Almeria the biggest city there and I found a little village there which I just put myself for three weeks and, and wrote just me actually you visited for a couple of weekends I did yeah um, a few days
0: it was beautiful yeah very, a nice.
1: very nice very simple life there for many mm. people and so again I was able to walk along the, the rugged coastline there mm. met some interesting people as you do when you're on your own yeah um so I like that, but I think it's a bit more challenging now. But we that I work in one of the route. This morning I worked, as you know, I worked in the front room here, pulled the blind down for a few hours, and then I got into the park, which is we're lucky to have Wimbledon Common on our doorstep. And I walked through the woods there and uh, stopped for an egg sandwich and a coffee at the local cafe in the park there by the windmill. The windmill by the windmill, <laughs> the windmill cafe. Yeah. And then I carried on for the woods and found. Place and another little park, okay, um, just off there, and you know the little space in the, the autumnal sun there. So that was nice just to write there. But I, I think one needs to create the space. Yeah. And then the other thing I think is once you've created that space, is don't make excuses. You've got this space. Do not make excuses, and I make. It, I do this all the time, so I'm a hypocrite. But just try to get something on the paper you've created the space you are forfeiting something else that you could be doing i mean mm-hmm. i work part-time now so i'm yeah. i've forfeited income in a way so you just don't make the excuses once you've created that space and just try to get something on the paper
0: mm-hmm. um we want our final question okay which is what would be the one piece of advice you would give someone starting out as a writer
1: Gosh, I still feel like I'm still, you know, I'm a, I'm a new writer, a yeah. newish writer, so what would the, now? Yeah, am I even you know, worthy of to give advice to help someone, someone what, to what write? What it work for
0: you then? What, what Okay. Does, what are the things that you perhaps you've tried and yeah. have worked, Tried than
2: things that what
1: haven't would, worked? Yeah, what would I, what would, oh okay, here's a bit of advice. Take criticism,
2: mm-hmm.
1: constructive right. criticism, yeah. yeah, and be prepared to share yeah. your first drafts some of your early work with trusted friends Mm. trusted friends who won't pat you on the back and say well done and but friends which you know are well read Mm -hmm. if you have friends which are well read and urge them to give you their honest feedback i've had one or two people like that
2: Mm. and
1: i never want to receive their email back with their opinions and things but it's always worthwhile yeah Yeah. Um, i think that's the way you improve like anything when you're at school you handed in essays you've got feedback yeah What university you need feedback so i think my advice is writing is a lonely thing it's you know you're very much in isolation doing it and you are walking a lonely path mm. many times this is just a rare opportunity to share and and have feedback so i'd say share your work with as many people as possible but people you think are, are valid yeah and welcome constructive criticism yeah. yeah. That, I think that's the advice I'd give. Okay. Share your work and get feedback.
0: Right. Very good piece of advice, definitely. So I hope all you podcast listeners who are would be writers or are writers already are nodding your head saying, yes, we totally agree with that.
1: And so. uh, yeah. and, I, and, and I even shared my, my final drafts with Emma. <laughs> you did. For some that's final proofreading and, and feedback. So if that's anyone true. can share their work with a fiery redhead Scott. <laughs> If I can do it.
0: Well, you'd know I would give you honest criticism. Yeah, yeah.
1: Right. You always do, yeah. But <laughs>
0: well, look, I've been the one who's been, who's been asking all the questions, and I wondered whether there was anything that you wanted me to ask you which I didn't ask. Um, is
1: there anything I want to share? I guess, yeah, I'm still on a journey. Mm. And I think what I have learned is that there's, I think there's a common consensus out there that you have to work out what is it you are, and then you totally focus on that. mm mm-hmm and and you work hard at being an expert in that and i think i've learned that you, you don't have to pigeonhole yourself as being one thing i think no. it's about being independent mm-hmm. and that and i've been striving for independence gave up the corporate world worked as a consultant have written a couple of books now i've gone back a little bit into that world on a part-time basis but i see myself as an entrepreneur as a writer, as someone who has an interest in economics in the global world, mm-hmm. and does other things also make up my character. And I'm open to, to doing new things yeah. and, yeah. Learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. learning. And I think the thing is, if there's something you're interested in, do it. Mm. We don't just say, I have to be this, I have to be that. Try the different things. And I think I'm realising I'm a mixture of a few different things. I actually think I'm quite a good networker. I'm starting to realise and that I'm somebody who has a few different skills, but I can bring together people who have better skills in that area Mm -hmm. and help them to share these things. For me, it's it's realising there's a few different sides to me Mm -hmm. and just working on them each and every day depending on what, what your priority is. Yeah, giving um, all
0: sides of your character a chance to, to shine and yeah. develop. Really. So
1: yes, um, what would I say <laughs> to summarise that long-winded answer? <laughs> Don't be frightened to be a jack-of-all-trades.
2: Yeah. Yes, definitely.
1: Not, not too many trades, yeah. but, yeah, but a, a few trades, yeah, but because got them, life, we'll them as we all know at the moment, can quickly change and evolve just like that. So having a few skills and different facets, strings to your bow, I think in a time of flux and change is an asset.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you. So in the show notes, we will give your your website, which is stephenrmarriott.com. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Stephen with a P-H. Mm-hmm. R with an R. Well, mm. Marriott, like the hotel, yes. M A R R I O T. So Stephen R is probably the best place to learn more about me and my books. Mm-hmm. As I'm losing my voice here, and, you and the wine has gone.
0: And you actually you send out a newsletter as and when it's not at all. No, no, I'm not. No, 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 no. You
1: can sign up for my newsletter not. there to find out about my books and offers and things. Not so busy on social media these days, but Instagram I share travel photos and. Yeah. various things so Stephen R Marriott as well okay and Instagram. that's
0: where people want to buy your book or have a look they are on the website and you can buy them kindle version
2: oh they the all
1: the all, all the places all the Amazon places. you know yeah, the books yeah. are available I know if you prefer paperbacks and you're in the States Barnes and Noble mm-hmm. you can order at Waterstones online all the normal places Thanks for the uh, promo.
0: (laughs) Oh, no problem. That's what this podcast is all about. Thank you very much for stepping in at the last minute and being my podcast guest for this week. It's been a pleasure talking to you today on subjects that we don't normally talk about when we're in our leisure time.
1: No. Don't I don't worry. know what we're going to talk about over dinner tonight. we have exhausted worry. everything yes. for the next couple of months. <laughs> well,
0: I'm sure we'll find something. I've got plenty of things to talk about now. So uh, you can just listen. All, all
1: right. OK.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much. And um, to all you podcast listeners out there, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and you've got some good takeaways from the show. As always, please do share with your friends. Please do subscribe. And please give us a rating if you can. And you can find me on travellingthrough.co.uk. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Have a good week. Take care and thanks for listening. Ciao. Bye.